I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and we've got another jam-packed show. On this edition of the podcast, we're going to be talking about Nicolas Pepe's future. Will he be leaving the club this summer on loan? We'll be talking about the latest with regards to Lissandro Martinez. We had an update from David Ornstein last night and Fabrizio Romano has followed that up with, I guess, a little bit of further information today. We're also going to be touching on Arsenal's 5-1 pre-season victory over Ipswich Town, in which Eddie Nketiah, wearing the number 14 shirt for the very first time, bagged a hat-trick. Some other interesting points to touch on from that game, as well as taking some of your questions and thoughts from the live chat box. Lots of you with me, as always. Great to see so many of you here watching us live. Remember, if you are watching us on YouTube, please do leave a like on the video. Please do subscribe to the channel if you're new. We're looking hopefully, in the not-too-distant future, to hit 25k subscribers. We're about 3,000 away from it at the moment, but I'm confident that maybe, just maybe, we could get there by Christmas. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? So please do subscribe if you're new. Leave a like on the video if you haven't, because it gets it out to as many people as possible. And if you're listening via the audio platforms, please do, in particular on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, because that really, really does help as well. Let me say a few hellos. And once I get those hellos out of the way, we'll dive into the Arsenal chat. I have to apologise in advance if there are any sneezes during the show. I do do my best when possible to hit the mute button just before they come out. But sometimes I can't get there in time. Uh, but it's just sod's law, isn't it? I've been fine probably the last three or four days. Um, been fine all morning. But I am uh, a little bit later on um, going to be visiting a relative that that is is vulnerable. So... I wanted to do a COVID test to make sure and, uh, you know, that there, there's nothing to worry about and that I'm not going to take anything anywhere. And literally, you know, you got to stick that bloody thing up your nose. It's just got everything going again. And I've been sneezing ever since. You know, and he probably should have done it much earlier than half an hour ago, but is what it is. Uh, big hello to Steve, uh, to Noah Daniels, to Lynn, uh, to Eri Hart, uh, to Glenn, uh, to Sasha, to Yawn, uh, to Jason, to... Uh, George, who joins us from Adelaide. Uh, we've got John with us as well. Ray is here. Uh, John Wayne, John Knott, Julian Tuffrey, uh, AJ Envoy, Thabs is with us, Amir. Oh, we've got so many people from all different places. Incredible to see. Um, we've got uh, Adelaide in the chat. We've got uh, Jerome, who joins us from New Zealand. Fantastic. Uh, we've got uh, AJ Morgan, who's in Skiathos. That's a nice place to be on a Sunday morning. Big shout out to you, mate. Big hello to Million, to Chris, who joins us from New York. We've got Mark, who's in Dallas as well. Uh, Andreas joins us from Cyprus. Hope you're well, man. Uh, yeah, look, lots of it. Uh, lots of it in the chat at the moment. We've got Kenya. Uh, we've got, uh, where else? I saw uh, Perth, Australia, Bali. Uh, we've got a Norwegian Guna in the chat. We've got Paul from uh, 
uh, Wiltshire. We've got uh, Belgium representing as well. Thank you all so, so much. If I missed you out, it's not because I don't know you're here or that I don't love you. It's just uh, there are so many names in the chat popping up. I'm trying to get through as many as I possibly can. At the end, if I remember, we'll uh, we'll do one of those bits where we literally just shout through all the countries and all the different wonderful places that you're joining us from. But let's get into it. Let's talk Nicolas Pepe. Now, I think it's been quite clear ever since Mikel Arteta took over at the club that he just doesn't quite fancy Nicolas Pepe as someone that he trusts, as someone that he'll put in the side week in, week out. And I don't think that really necessarily stems from what Nicolas Pepe does in the attacking third. I think this is a consequence of maybe a lack of trust in what Nicolas Pepe brings to the rest of the team. I think that, you know, defensively, there are question marks about him. I There's there's one game from last season that always sticks in my mind. If you remember, it was the away victory at Aston Villa where Nicolas Pepe came on as a substitute to kind of freshen things up and help us uh, sort of see that lead out. And actually, he was just an accident waiting to happen. Flip that, though, by that same token, he was a match winner against Wolves. And, and this kind of summarises for me how Nicolas Pepe is viewed by Mikel Arteta. In the final third, he can be as good and as impactful as most, but it's all the other parts of the game in which he probably lacks and from which that distrust that Mikel Arteta's actions have suggested probably stems. So I don't think that the guy has a future at Arsenal. I've got to be honest. I think that we paid a lot of money for Nicolas Pepe and the weight and the burden of that price tag has proven at times too heavy to carry for him. Um, for that, I have great sympathy for the Ivorian because that is not his fault, right? He didn't sanction a deal to sign himself for £72 million. Arsenal did that and it was a mistake. Um, not necessarily it was a mistake bringing in Nicolas Pepe because I think at the time we were all excited by that signing. Um, you know, he'd come into the club off the back of some really, really good form in France and people thought, yeah, you know, Arsenal mean business. They're making a statement signing. They're going out there, they're breaking the bank and they're doing whatever it takes to get this deal over the line. And as I say, most of us at the time were pleased to see him arrive. I think though, a lot of us felt at the time that £72 million was excessive. But then it's that it's that middle ground that you've got to find, right? At times, we've been critical of Arsenal not going that extra mile to get deals done and almost setting a very strict limit over which they're never looking to exceed. And then we ultimately end up missing out on players because other clubs, perhaps you could argue, more ambitious clubs are willing to do that. They're willing to put their money where their mouth is, take a gamble, take a risk, take a punt in some cases on certain players in order to get to where they want to be. But with hindsight, and it's always much easier to do it with hindsight, Arsenal hugely overpaid for Nicolas Pepe. And Mikel Arteta has come in and said, not publicly, but you know, you'd imagine within his own mind, I'm not going to be a slave to what Arsenal did in the in the past. I'm not going to be a slave to the mistakes made. I'm not going to be dictated to with regards to who should play. You know, you, you often see it at other clubs, don't you, where there's a director of football, perhaps, and there's a very, very sort of uh, controlling relationship in that department. You, you often see it where clubs sign a player. The player isn't necessarily wanted, rated, or particularly trusted by the manager, yet the club will ensure that that player is playing. They'll almost tell the manager, tell the head coach, you need to use this guy. We've invested X amount of money in him. And so he needs to play. And I think 
particularly abroad. We, we've seen many, many examples of this down the years. And Mikel Arteta's come in and been given full control. He's not been told by anyone who he can, can and can't play. He's terminated contracts left, right and centre of some of our biggest earning stars uh, without any fear for the consequences of that. And with Nicolas Pepe, this is another example of that. Only, I don't think that this is an attitude thing. I don't think that Nicolas Pepe has given Mikel Arteta any problems behind the scenes. I just think that Nicolas Pepe's demeanour, sometimes the way he carries himself, can give off that impression that he's unhappy when actually, what do you want him to be looking like? The guy's not playing football. The guy's not getting the opportunities that his talent probably deserves. And that's due to the manager's preference, I guess, more than anything. I, I'm really reluctant to sit here and, and criticise Nicolas Pepe's ability or say that he doesn't have it or say that he's lacking in certain areas. Because I think as a footballer, he's extremely talented. But it's just not worked at Arsenal. And so we've got to move him on. Now, we were heavily linked earlier in the window with Rafinha. And it looks as though that deal is probably not going to happen. It looks as though he is headed for Barcelona, despite them taking their time to actually enter the mix. Um, and that's prompted questions over what the deal is with Nicolas Pepe, right? Because Rafinha, had he come in, would have been another right winger. And Nicolas Pepe is already struggling to get in the side ahead of Bukayo Saka. So that would have knocked him even further down the pecking order. Add to the mix, Reese Nelson, who's back at the club, maybe won't be here come the start of the season, but is there for the time being. And Nicolas Pepe's opportunities, based on what we know Arsenal are looking to do in this window, look even less, look even fewer and further between. So for him to move on, I think, makes sense for all parties. We understand that there's an openness and a willingness on his part to make that move and that Arsenal, too, are looking to facilitate the deal. However, are we going to get back anywhere near the investment that we made on the player? Absolutely not. Not a chance in hell. That is not going to happen. So this is where, as a football club, we're almost at the mercy of these previous mistakes and we have to go, well, you know, we're going to have to significantly drop our asking price for this player because nobody is going to pay what we paid, not even close to it. Arsenal are said to, according to a number of reports, have dropped their asking price for Nicolas Pepe down from seven, well, down from the 72 million they paid for him to 25 million pounds. That's said to be the magic number for Arsenal right now with regards to Nicolas Pepe. But I've got to be honest, I don't even think we're going to get that. I would be shocked if somebody was to cough up £25 million for Nicolas Pepe. And that just kind of highlights what a bad deal this was uh, to do in the first place. Now, again, in hindsight, very easy to say that. At the time, I thought it was a good signing. I didn't think it was a £72 million signing. I never thought that at any point in Nicolas Pepe's career. And I've said on this show in previous seasons that the only way we're going to accept Nicolas Pepe for what he is, is if we just almost block out of our minds the fact that Arsenal paid crazy money for him and focus on what we've actually seen, the level he's actually shown and what he's probably worth. I think he is someone with a lot to offer. And I actually want him to go elsewhere and play regularly to almost prove to people that he can do it to prove to people that when he's the focal point of an attack or a main component in an attack and not a fringe player who's coming in and out of the side, not somebody who's expected to go from freezing cold on the substitutes bench to red hot in the space of five, 10 minutes. If he can go somewhere else and prove that, I'll be delighted for him. But 
The other problem that we have and that Nicolas Pepe probably has is that he's on big, big money at Arsenal Football Club. And on top of the £25 million that Arsenal are looking for, are there many clubs out there that would be willing to take on that wage packet? Will Nicolas Pepe take a pay cut? Well, he might have to if he wants to play football regularly. And it's he's at a bit of a crossroads in his career where he has to make a decision on that. Nobody wants to go backwards pay-wise in their career. Like, that's one of the things that you, you want to avoid at all costs, understandably, in any career. You know, you've been doing something for a year, you accept a salary. When you get to five years, six years, seven years, eight years, nine years, you don't want to go back. You can't. You know, you've you've built your life upon the basis of whatever your income is at the time. You never want to go backwards. And so I understand the reluctance, if there is one on the player's part, to accept lower wages. But he's got to make that decision now. Does he want to, you know, continue his playing career um, and, and hit the heights that I think we can all agree that he's capable of hitting? Does he want to go as far as he possibly can? I don't think... Um, I don't think that money should be at the forefront of his mind here. He's still going to earn a very good wage uh, wherever he goes, but he's going to have to accept that it's going to be less than what he's on at Arsenal, where he was brought in as a marquee signing, where he was brought in as a key part, as a key player. It hasn't worked out like that, unfortunately. So what's the latest with regards to interest in Nicolas Pepe? Well, the answer to that is not one that people necessarily want to hear. There isn't an awful lot of interest at all. In fact, there's been no official approach from anybody up until this point with regards to Nicolas Pepe. And that is thought largely to be because Arsenal's asking price in the eyes of many others feels unreasonable. And to a degree, I kind of agree with that. What I would say, though, is, you know, asking price of a club is not necessarily what the deal is going to be done at. Now, if you think about Rafinha, Leeds were asking for £65 million. Chelsea went in at £60 million from what we're told. And that deal was agreed and sanctioned. So often the selling club will set their price higher than what they're actually willing to accept. It's a negotiation tactic. It's standard. It's not anything new. But nobody's even come in with an offer below that. Nobody's even, from what we know, come in to test the waters with regards to Nicolas Pepe. And I think we're probably going to have to let the player leave on loan. Now, there are suggestions of that in the media over the last few days that Arsenal are very quickly coming to the realisation that they're not going to be able to sell Nicolas Pepe for big money and therefore they may well have to loan him out, if not to cover every single cent of his wages, which is unlikely, but at least to cover the vast majority of that and free up some money within the club for us to do other things. So I think that's probably the most likely outcome with regards to Nicolas Pepe in this window. I think he will end up leaving the club between now and, and September 1st, although I do expect it's more likely to be on loan rather than a sale. Now, can Arsenal do this in the right way? Can they negotiate a obligation to buy clause at the end of that loan? Can they obligation, uh, can they, obligation, <laughs> lost my words there. Can they organise a option to buy at the end of that? There's so much to think about here. And, um, and I think Arsenal, are going to probably have to get creative with this one in order to, as I say, give Nicolas Pepe what he wants, which is ultimately more football, although that's probably going to have to be somewhere else. Also, though, to give, um, you know, Nicolas Pepe the opportunity to, you know, continue his career, which I think is, is really important for him. If we don't sign a right winger, 
Will he get more opportunities this season? Can he be the backup to Bukayo Saka? What well, I think, in an attacking sense, he can be. I think in the Europa League, we'll see him thrive. I think in the cup competitions, we'll see the very best of him. And I always feel like we're a threat when Nicolas Pepe gets the ball on the right-hand side. But as I, I said earlier on in the show, it all goes back to what I believe to be a distrust between Mikel Arteta and Nicolas Pepe in his defensive abilities and his ability to follow tactical instructions. He's a bit of a free spirit, Nicolas Pepe. He wants to drift all over the place. He wants to pick up the ball as wide as possible and drive in field with it. He wants that freedom and that creative license that sometimes maybe in Mikel Arteta's side, we don't always have. It is a little bit rigid at times. There is very specific instructions in place. And with Pepe being a bit of a free spirit, sometimes that just that just doesn't work. And and I think that's what this is. As I've said before, I don't think there's an attitude problem. I don't think there's been a falling out. And I don't think it's it's even that deep. I just think that the two are on different spectrums at the moment. And and, and I don't really see this ever working. So let's, let's do what we need to do to move him on and, and start to add players that will be um, the right fit for Mikel Arteta in his eyes, et cetera, et cetera. So that's where I'm at on that. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Lissandro Martinez. Now, I dropped the video, uh, Chronicles of Aguna Extra video. If you're an audio listener, you won't have heard that because the Chronicles of Aguna Extra is only available on the YouTube channel. So please do uh, make sure that you're subscribed to the YouTube channel if you're not already, and that way you'll never miss any content. Um, basically, bringing you guys the update from David Ornstein with regards uh, to Lissandro Martinez, in which uh, David Ornstein said that there are talks planned, a meeting planned between Arsenal and Ajax this week to further discuss the potential transfer of the player. He did go on to say as well that Manchester United are still in the race. Manchester United are still interested in the player. And what I thought was probably the most interesting part of that article was the difference in the way the two clubs see the player. Now, I think this is going to be a really key part in Lissandro Martinez's discussion. Um, you know, uh, in Lissandro Martinez's decision, I beg your pardon, it's Sunday morning, forgive me. Um, I think that, that is, this is going to play a big part. Arsenal, according to David Ornstein, see him as primarily a left-back. Now, his versatility is something we've talked about time and time again, and I do believe that he'd be coming into Arsenal with a view to playing at left-back when necessary, but also giving you... Um, you know, that ability to switch things up, that ability to backfill other positions as well. Manchester United, however, according to that very same report, see Lissandro Martinez as a centre-back. And I think that gives Manchester United the advantage. That plus the Ten Hag factor. Why? Because at the end of the day, it's the position that he plays in most. It's the position that he's most comfortable in. I think at five foot nine in the Premier League as a centre-back, you know, there are challenges. I think that that will will cause him problems going up against certain opponents. And particularly if the setup around him is not right to, to help with that, it could be an issue. The question is, which project does Lissandro Martinez buy into most? I think both sides have shown that they're capable of playing with a back three at times or the willingness to play with a back three at times. But with Eric Ten Hag, we don't really know. You know, we're, we're basing that on speculation on maybe what he's done in the past because he's not got really his feet under the mat yet or under the table yet. Um, at Old Trafford. So we're going to have to wait and see. But yeah, the the that's the negative part of it, right? So I think the fact that Arsenal don't see him as playing in his preferred position, according to that report, is going to, um, 
is going to be, you know, is, is going to be an issue. Manchester United do that plus the Ten Hag factor. Is that enough to convince him to go to Manchester United over Arsenal? Maybe. I don't know. But the encouraging part of this is, well, if those talks are scheduled and things could change in between and maybe they won't even go on to take place. But what I would say is this. The fact that Arsenal are scheduling, planning meetings with Ajax over Lissandro Martinez at the very, very least suggests that up until this point, he has not shut the door on Arsenal completely, which suggests that some of those reports that have been saying that are wide of the mark. And I think that that's important. You know, it's important to, um, it's important to, um, to, to think about that. And it's important to uh, consider that. Uh, someone in the chat said, hold on. Uh, Chris said he's not five foot nine. He's smaller than Messi. He is five foot nine. I've just, and, and while I was talking there, I was typing, which is probably what you heard to check it up on transfer mark. He's 1.75 meters, 1.75 centimeters, uh, 175 centimeters. I beg your pardon in feet is five feet and 8.9 inches. So I haven't just made that up. And that's what it said in the uh, athletics report as well. So as I said yesterday in the, the short video that we did, although it's not the be all and end all, it does lead me to think that Arsenal's way of thinking about what his position should be is probably more down my street more aligned with my thinking but it's down to the player right if 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 we're going to get to a situation and we might well end up in this situation where both manchester united and arsenal meet the asking price or get as close to it as as ix will accept and the negotiation then becomes one between the two clubs and the individual from which he needs to make a decision and decide where he wants to go the fact that we're not viewing him seeing him according to that report as someone who can play in his preferred position, could well push him towards Manchester United. He might think, you know what, physically, the Premier League is a very different animal. Actually, I'd quite like to play at left-back at times. I'd quite like to play in the midfield, if that's what Mikel Arteta asks of me. I'm open to this. I like the project enough that I'll go there and I'll fight for my place and I'll do that. That could be the case. But my gut feeling tells me that if we do not show this guy the love and the want... um, based on what he's done in the past, it kind of pushes him towards Manchester United a little bit. But as I say, the flip side of that is the fact that we're still in negotiations. The fact that those talks are being planned tells me that at the time of recording today, there has been no indication from Lissandro Martinez's camp that he doesn't want Arsenal, that he's close to it, that he's only got eyes for Manchester United. So we'll see. We'll see how this pans out. I have to say, though, I am getting a little bit frustrated with all this. I am getting a little bit frustrated with the window. I'm getting to that point now where, you know, beginning of the window is quite cool. You get to talk about transfers. You get to talk about players you'd like to see come in. You get to share your opinions on those. You get to react to reports. You get to discuss all of that. And then you get to this point in the window where it just becomes draining. It just becomes I don't want to use the term boring because I know that a lot of people enjoy transfer content and I know that you know, just looking at the numbers, that there is obviously demand for it and there is clamour for it. But it just feels to me like a lot of what ifs and, and and what a lot of buts. And 
I prefer to talk about actual football. And although it wasn't a great game, that's why I'm delighted that I've got a little section, at least, on this show um, to uh, to talk about some actual football. We'll carry on uh, chatting through the topics and we will come to that 5-1 victory over Ipswich Town at London Colney in a bit. But before I do that, I just want to share with you guys what Fabrizio Romano uh, posted this morning, uh, around about an hour ago at the time of recording, uh, with regards to Martinez. He said, Lisandro Martinez and his camp will be clear again with the Ajax board. He only wants Premier League football, so he wants to make a choice between Arsenal and Manchester United's proposals. He's hoping that Ajax will let him go. Final line is, though, Eric Ten Hag is confident on this deal and is pushing again. So again, we're getting suggestions that that Manchester United lead the race. And as I say, that positional discussion uh, feels like it could be the decider and it, it could very much tip the balance even more so in Manchester United's favour. But Arsenal is still in there and Arsenal are still trying for this. So uh, make of that what you will. OK, um, before we talk about Arsenal's uh, 5-1 victory over Ipswich. Uh, just a couple of things. First of all, if you want to enter our giveaway, uh, we're giving away three brand new Arsenal home shirts in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're taking your entries at the moment. What you need to do is go over to Twitter at Chronicles underscore AFC. Follow the instructions in the pinned tweet. If you don't have Twitter and only if you don't have Twitter, please do email me. The email address is chroniclesafc at gmail.com. Your entry, and I will enter your name into the draw. We're going to be drawing uh, two names uh, from the wider audience and one name from the members, Paul. Now, you might be thinking, why do the members only get one? Well, there's a lot less members, so they still stand a much better chance of winning. If you want to enter the members draw, you need to become a member. And to do that, you can click uh, on the link in the description. Also, while I'm on that subject, hit like on the video as well. We've got over 500 of you with us live right now, but just 113 likes on the board. Let's set a target of 250 between now and the end of the stream. Okay, let's talk Arsenal versus Ipswich Town. Eddie Nketiah with a hat-trick. Um, he was on fire. All right, look, they weren't the most difficult goals uh, to score, but nice to see him getting into the habit so early on in pre-season. Let's talk a little bit about the team uh, that Mikel Arteta named. Now, I didn't see the game because it wasn't televised. It wasn't seen. There was, you know, it, it just wasn't. So uh, difficult for me to kind of gauge performance levels, difficult for me to give you uh, any more information. But we did get the lineups. Um, we know that as well as Eddie Nketiah's hat-trick, there were goals from Sambi Lakonga and goals from or a goal from Foller and Balligan in the second half. So how did Arsenal line up in their first pre-season friendly of the season? Well, the first half team was the following. Leno in goal. It was a back four, we think, of Bellerin, White, Pablo Marie and Cedric. In the midfield, it was Thomas Partey, Ainsley, Maitland-Niles, Sambi Lakonga. Nicolas Pepe was playing from one flank, Reese Nelson from the other, and Eddie Nketiah le uh, led the front line. Uh, in the second half, there were wholesale changes. It was completely different. Um, Arthur Okonkwo was in goal, Rule Waters, Alex Kirk, Zach Orr, Lino Sosa, Matt Smith, Salad, Ulad Mahand, uh, Charlie Patino, Amari Hutchinson and Follerin Balligan started the second period, um, as well as Marcelo Flores, I beg your pardon, and the substitutes used were Jack Henry, Francis and Mazid Agongbo. So 
wholesale changes in the second half. It's probably why Arsenal only managed to bag one in the second half. But they started the game like a house on fire. I think the first goal came within about 20, 26 seconds, something like that. Um, wasn't any time at all, basically. Sambi Lakonga turned in uh, a nice uh, a nice finish from close range as well um, after he was set up by uh, Eddie Nketiah and following Balogun, who hit the post with his initial effort, saw the ball ricochet back into his path to slot it in to add Arsenal's fifth goal. So as I say, don't really know much about the performance. Didn't watch it, couldn't watch it. Um, but at the end of the day, at this stage, it's just about fitness, in my opinion. Yeah, you want to see performances, you want to see teams click, but how often have we seen teams click and look brilliant in pre-season only to start the season and nosedive dramatically? Plus, you've got to consider the level of the opponent, the stage of pre-season at which they're at. I would say Ipswich are probably a week or two ahead of us because of the fact that the Football League starts a bit earlier. Uh, that probably gives them an advantage from a fitness perspective, but the quality told in that first half and Arsenal very, very dominant in the end. Um, but yeah, just good to talk about some actual football. And of course, Arsenal are in action uh, again uh, this coming Friday. They travel to Germany for a training camp and then they will take on FC Nuremberg at the Max Morlock Stadion on Friday, the 8th of July at 4.30pm. Uh, really, really looking forward to... Um, to uh, hopefully getting to see that one. Need to find out details on how we can watch it, if we can at all. And if I get any information, I will share that with you guys. But yeah, at the moment, it's just about fitness. It's just about getting back into the rhythm. It's just about getting back into the habits. It'll be nice if we can get some of the new signings in the door before we go to the US so that those guys can embed in with the group, have some time uh, to get to know people and obviously uh, start to understand a little bit about the system and style of play, etc. But there's so much disruption in preseason. I don't think tactically it's the it's the best. I think that what it is, as we always say, is is mainly for fitness and and about bringing new signings in and, and getting them into the mix. But yeah, um, good to see Arsenal winning. Good to see Arsenal scoring goals. Good to see Eddie scoring goals as well. Because listen, I I was okay with giving Eddie a new contract. Do I think that we probably paid him a little bit too much money? Maybe. Um, would I have given him the number 14 shirt? Maybe not. But equally, I didn't really understand the, the backlash to that. And I don't really understand the backlash to giving him a new contract when we have gone out and bought another striker who still at the time of recording has not bloody been announced. And I have no idea why. Everyone I see, everyone I speak to keeps saying to me, why has it not been done yet, Harry? Why has it not been? I do not have a clue. I promise you, I do not have any idea what the delay is. But I've got to the point now where I'm just like, whatever, man, like, Somebody messaged me about it yesterday, a friend of mine, as I was sitting down to watch the tennis, Kyrgios against Tsitsipas. What a game, by the way. Oh, sensational stuff. It had it all. Great tennis, entertainment, the lot, controversy, you name it. It was fantastic. As I sat down to watch that, someone texts me and goes, Harry, man, what's, what's going on? Why the hell haven't we got Gabriel Jesus in the door yet? And my response was, mate, it's done right now. I do not care. All I want to do is sit down, have a nice drink and watch the tennis. And, th and that's what I did. And I paid no attention to Arsenal whatsoever until the tennis finished when I saw that David Unstein tweet. And then we jumped on, obviously, and did a very, very short uh, update video on that. But yeah, you know, some people feel like this has kind of killed the excitement, the fact that we've dragged it on so long. And, and to a degree, I, I kind of get where you're coming from. But 
I don't really understand by that same token why people lose their minds about it. You know, it's done. Just chill. You know, he's in the door. What difference does it make if you get the official unveiling today or if you get it the day before the season? As long as he's there, as long as he's doing his thing, then it doesn't really matter. So, yeah, um, I'm going to try and stay a little bit more chilled on that. I think when I stop wanting it and stop thinking about it, it'll probably happen. So, uh, yeah, that's my approach now anyway. Um, but just going back to the friendly, just quickly, uh, a couple of interesting points that I wanted to talk about. First of all, Hector Bellerin uh, was, of course, the captain of the side. And um, and I find this interesting. Now, look, I know you shouldn't really give too much sort of attention or airtime to who captained the side in a meaningless behind closed doors preseason friendly. Um, you know, I, I get all of that. But I do think this is interesting because what it does is it, when you think about Hector Bellerin and you think about the fact that he's left, you know, and, and gone on loan to Real Betis and that he's quite open about the fact that he, he would like to return there. A deal's not been done between the two clubs yet. And so he's having to, even with that cloud of uncertainty looming over him, he's had to come back and just get on with the task at hand, be professional. It's great to see that, well, I, I don't know if it's great, but it's, it's interesting to see that despite his wanting away, despite everything that's gone on, despite what some fans feel about Hector Bellerin, and there are a lot of Arsenal fans out there, there are stupidly overly critical of Hector Bellerin. You know, is he the player that we thought he would develop into? No, you know, he probably hasn't hit the heights that we thought. Did injuries play a part in that? Absolutely. Um, you know, maybe instead of having a go at Hector Bellerin for not hitting those heights, maybe you should reevaluate your ability to assess how good a player can be. Maybe that's, um, that's the, the approach. That's how I, that's how I think about it. Right. If I think a player is going to go on to a really high level and I stick my neck out on the line and say that and, and do it with real conviction and then it doesn't happen. Obviously I'll look at what the player could have done to help that. I'll look at the circumstances. I'll look at whether there were significant injuries and the impact that they've had. But it also prompts me to reevaluate my methods on how I would judge whether a player has the ability to go on and, and achieve really big things. And I think that you need that bit of self-reflection instead of just pushing the blame on everybody else all the time. And I think a lot of fans who thought Bellerin was going to be the next best thing didn't see it, um, didn't see that maybe at times his defensive flaws were covered up by that extra yard of pace that he had. And, and when he seemed to lose that after, of course, that serious knee injury, you then maybe thought, well, actually, now he's not quite as effective. And ultimately, you'd miss the point that he was never positionally very good. He was never positionally the, the best defender out there. Tactically, he still left a lot to be desired at certain points, but that pace and that speed across the ground would often get him out of those situations. So that's how I look at it. Um, if you don't like the player, you don't like him, right? If you, you're you adamant that regardless of what offer comes in, we have to push him out the door, fine. But the fact that he was wearing the captain's armband yesterday, although, as I say again, is insignificant, it just rewind, it just, not rewinds, reminds us of the respect between Mikel Arteta and him, the respect between the club and him, the fact that he is valued and seen as a leader at Arsenal Football Club whether he's, uh, you know, whether he's wanting away or not. And it's just interesting, isn't it, that he's held in such high esteem by his manager, who he shares a, a strong personal relationship with as well, but also the club. And, and when you look at that 
in comparison to how the fans think about him or how a lot of fans think about him. The two are in complete contrast. So, um, yeah, that's where we're at with that. But interesting to see Bellerin wearing the armband. Obviously, um, some of the players that have been on international duty at the back end of last season are not back yet. Some are. Um, you know, some players have, have come back, others haven't. But interesting, Pablo Marie was in the team. Again, another one who wants away, another one who's likely to leave between now and the end of the window. Ainsley Maitland-Niles returned after a very, let's be honest, unsuccessful loan spell at Roma. Reese Nelson back after a better loan spell in the Netherlands. So, um, yeah, that's... Uh, it's interesting to see how these players are going to fare, how they're going to feature over the course of preseason. I think a lot of them will still leave. I think a lot of them were in the team because of a lack of alternatives, given that some players are still away, as opposed to it being, look, they're back. Let's bring them in. Now they're part of the plans. They will be reintegrated in the best way possible, but that doesn't mean the door for the exit is is bolted shut. They probably will still leave in a lot of those cases. But anyway. Um, let's see uh, what else we've got. Uh, Jid says, um, what defensive flaws, Harry? We conceded almost twice as many goals from Tierney's flank than from Hector's. And in attack, he had the same goals as Kieran Tierney, just had one less assist. Don't perpetuate a false narrative. It's not a false narrative. It's my opinion, my friend, on, um, on Hector Bellerin as a defender. I think going forward at times, he's been incredibly effective and that backs up your stats that you've reeled off there about you know the goals and assists as for conceding goals on the left hand side well that's because one of Mikel Arteta's biggest features um as a manager has been particularly at the start of his Arsenal tenure was to use Kieran Tierney as one of our only real creative outlets you know how many times in the first couple of seasons under Mikel Arteta were we looking at it going oh my god do we do anything other than build the play up on the left and rely on Kieran Tierney to pick someone out in the box the fact that we were pushing the left back on so much and that was clearly a part of the plan left us vulnerable in that position so i think that that stat that you've brought to the table can perpetuate a false narrative around Kieran Tierney i think everything needs to be looked at with context i think even before Mikel Arteta there were times where Hector Bellerin as a defender was caught out. Now, some of that was tactical. Some of it was because he was tasked with getting up the pitch in the same way that Kieran Tierney has been for the most part under Mikel Arteta. But everything needs context applied to it. I'm I'm actually a fan of Hector Bellerin. I'm not trying to discredit him. I'm one of the people that's been much more uh, accepting of him and his situation. I just I just don't think as a as a defender, he's the best out there or, or one of the best out there. I think he's got some issues in his game there and, and I think they need improving it's it's just an opinion uh let's see what else we've got here and also you know sometimes you need to apply the eye test all right it's not just about stats I can pick out stats for a lot of things that suit my point and then does that mean I've won the point does that mean I'm right and everybody else is wrong I think that you have to apply all statistics with context and and I think that it's easy to pick up a stat from here or there and, and put it out there um, as a, a way to back up your point, but where's the context around it? I think that's really, really important. Um, Tim Drake Brockman says, I know people made fun of it at the time, but I loved his tree planting initiative and environmental commitment. Yeah, I mean, he's a great ambassador off the pitch as well. You know, he backs a lot of causes. He, he does it with a real passion. You can tell that he's not just doing it to tick a box. He's doing it because he genuinely feels... Um, you know, he genuinely feels as though he can make a difference. And 
and that's nice you know that that's good it's good to see um he was a bit of a go-between between the players and the club during those difficult negotiations around the pay cuts and and all of that stuff as well um so yeah it's uh it's a strong relationship that he has with the club and we'll have to see how the rest of the summer pans out uh sweet munchkin says why do you only take questions from the same people it's just whatever i see uh, whatever catches my eye feel free uh, to drop a question in put a cue at the beginning of it in fact all of you pop some questions in we'll do some questions for the last uh, sort of 10 minutes of of the show um just wanted to quickly touch on aaron hickey as well uh, that's another uh, point that was doing the rounds yesterday aaron hickey looks as though he's on his way to brentford and Listen, whilst the appeal of signing a fullback who can play on both sides uh, is understandable, you know, the more I thought about Aaron Hickey, and, and I'm not just saying this, I'm not just saying this now, um, you know, because he's going to Brentford. I, I have said that I think he's still a little bit raw. He's still got a long way to go before he'll be Arsenal level, in my opinion. Uh, so let's uh, let's see how how he gets on. It's clear that he was never a serious target for Arsenal. Fabrizio Romano confirmed that Arsenal were looking at him, but nothing more. So um, it's not that we've been beaten in the race by Brentford. So chill out, people. Um, just re in response to my comment about eye tests, Jude says, eye tests don't mean much, Harry. Remember when the eye test, eye test falsely told thousands of fans that Xhaka ducked the ball from a free kick uh, against United? Everyone was sure eye tests come with biases. Yeah, but I didn't tell you that, did I? So... You're, you're suggesting that my eye test comes from a place of extreme bias. I don't think it does personally. Um, and as someone who's defended Bellerin quite a bit over the years, for me to be labelled as someone who has a bias against him, which doesn't allow me to see the positives he brings to the team, I think is unfair. I personally. So, you know, there are people who, you, you know, apply the eye test with biases biases are a part of life like you, you're never going to escape that completely um but i don't know why you've used the Xhaka example i've i've I, i've i'm often criticized for being too defensive of granite Xhaka, so that's not i don't fall into that category um if that's what you're suggesting i don't think anyway okay let's take some more of your questions some more of your thoughts from the live chat box uh matt g says what did you make of football twitter losing its mind over van dyke and de bruyne being seen parting together, would you feel differently if it was Ramsdale and Kane? Crazy, isn't it? Like that, that people can't accept that people can be friends without being on the same side. It's it's mad. Um, would you feel differently if it was Ramsdale or Kane? I wouldn't really care, to be honest with you. You know, whatever. Like, it is what it is. Um, they're humans. They can do what they want outside of the game. I think we're so quick to... Um, jump on their personal lives and what they do for fun and what they do in their spare time when actually most of what they do is, is stuff that most of us have probably done only on a much lower budget. <laughs> so yeah, no, it doesn't bother me. Um, and it's just people looking for something to moan about and be outraged about. And with there being no actual football in action at the moment, I think that is, uh, that is even more prevalent if I'm being honest. Um, just quickly, let's talk Cristiano Ronaldo as well, because we heard the news yesterday uh, that Cristiano Ronaldo has requested to leave Manchester United. I never thought he'd be a good fit for Ten Hag anyway. I've got to be honest. And I I actually thought earlier in the summer, I think I did say it on 90 min maybe, that I wouldn't be surprised if Ronaldo was to leave. Um, I didn't think he'd go about it this way. 
Um, I, I thought that Manchester United might be open to letting him leave because Eric Ten Hag almost wants to reset and refresh things. And as great a goal scorer as Cristiano Ronaldo is, and he is, you know, Manchester United are wanting to enter into a new era. They're wanting to play a different style of football. And I'm not necessarily sure he's the perfect fit for that, although he will contribute you goals. But in other ways, will it will it cost you? Maybe. Interesting, though, that, you know, it's it's because of a lack of, am, of ambition shown by Manchester United. Like We're talking about 38, 39-year-old in the twilight of his career who's clearly um, willing to go on for as long as he possibly can. And he is saying that Manchester United don't have the ambition to match his uh, wants and needs. And that just shines a light on where Manchester United are at at the moment. And almost gives me more encouragement that Arsenal can potentially pip players, uh, pip Manchester United, I beg your pardon, to getting players in the door. Maybe not in the Lissandro case because he's a Ten Hag boy and, and you know, they've got a relationship and a history of working together. But if it is a straight shootout between Arsenal and Man United in other negotiations, you, you might feel that given, you know, what's going on at United, given the lack of movement so far, Frankie de Jong as well, um, also, that deal is being talked about as a doubt as well, with Jean Laporta coming out and saying we're not selling him and he wants to stay, which might just be mind games in order to to push Manchester United to go into a much bigger fee. But, you know, it's just all the wrong noises coming out of Manchester United at the moment. And, um, you know, those in uh, glass houses shouldn't throw stones and all that. But, yeah, just um, interesting to see how that is uh, all unfolding. Uh what else have we got? Uh, Krish, random question, but says, do you watch test cricket? I don't, mate. I do. I'll stick test cricket on now and again. I'll, I'll always keep up with the scores. I'll always keep track of the scores via my phone. But I often don't have time to sit and watch a test match. Um, you know, I, I, as I say, I dip in and out of them. I'll always keep across what's happening, but I'm not. Cricket is probably maybe my fourth favourite sport. So, yeah. It's um, it's not one I'm massive on, but I do keep across the, the basis of what's going on. Uh, big hello to Bruce as well, who says, uh, love your work, Harry. Keep it up. Thank you so much, mate. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Um, what else have we got here? Uh, doo -doo 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 -doo. Just going to pick up one or two more. Uh, Tim Drake uh, says, if we do end up missing out, on, Mar on the Martinez transfer. Who else can we look to go for that fits his kind of profile? This is really, really interesting. And as I said to you guys, I am working on a couple of shows. I, I should have done them yesterday, really. I should have recorded them yesterday and I just never got around to it. But I will get them out to you over the next couple of days doing alternatives for uh, Rafinha. Who else can we look at? Uh, alternatives for Yuri Tielemans, if that deal can't be done, and alternatives for Lissandro Martinez in the event that we are going to miss out on the player. Um, I'm doing my research and I will come to you with some answers uh, on those. Well, some opinions, not answers, because what I say isn't necessarily the answer. Um, they're more opinions than anything else, but looking forward uh, to, of course, uh, sharing those with you. Uh, Sanji says, uh, Hi, Harry, what do you think of a Vieira, Partey and Odegaard midfield? Too lightweight for me, mate. Um, too lightweight. I think that we need a little bit more presence in there. I think that Granite Xhaka um, would start ahead of Vieira at the moment because I think Xhaka, Odegaard and Partey worked really, really well at various points last season. I think our problem came along when when first when Xhaka was missing, then when Partey was missing for a long period of time. We really, really struggled to cope with that. 
I like Fabio Vieira, but as I've said to you guys before, I'm I'm not expecting major things straight away. And I think his early Arsenal appearances might well come as a wide forward, giving him the opportunity to get on the ball high up the pitch, make things happen, but without necessarily being um, an important part of our defensive structure. So that's my view on that. I, I just don't think the balance there is quite right. Maybe one day in the future, who knows? But at this moment in time, I think we need a little bit more stability, a little bit more presence in the middle of the park. OK, guys, I'm going to leave it there. Um, I will catch you all very, very soon with more. If any uh, new Arsenal news drops later on, we will, of course, uh, bring you some kind of reaction, whether that be in the form of a live stream or whether that be in the form of a short form uh, video. Keep your notifications on. That way you'll never miss out. If you are listening on the audio, be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. That way you'll get access to all of our content across the multiple platforms. Please do leave a like on the video. Uh, we still haven't hit that target of 250. There's nearly 700 of you watching now, so there should be no excuses for not making that. Like, like, like. Uh, subscribe to the channel if you're new as well as we continue to push towards the next milestone. And I'll be back very, very soon with more. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. <laughs> 